You are listening to the Hope of Israel Baptist Broadcast with our radio host, Dr. K. Daniel Freed. Over the next few weeks, we will be listening to excerpts of powerful preaching and singing from our national conference, which always takes place the week before Memorial Day. We pray that these live recordings will be a blessing and a help to you as you seek truth and a closer walk with God in these days of uncertainty. And now, here is our broadcast for today. But when we talk to those folks, what exactly are we, what message are we giving to them? That's the doctrine that's found in verse number 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us, whom you know sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Verse 19 says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. The first doctrine is the doctrine of the incarnation. God became a man. The second doctrine is the doctrine of intercession, the doctrine of evangelism. We go out and we we beseech folks to come to Christ. But that last doctrine is the doctrine of imputation. The doctrine of imputation. I want you to look at verse number 21. For he hath made him that, that he is God the Father hath made him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When we get to the doctrine of imputation, that is the message of the cross. Paul said, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. The cross is not the front door that gets you into the Christian life. Friend, the cross is in and of itself the Christian life. It is a crucified life. It is a life that is lived in the shadow of the cross. You have no power in your life outside of the cross, no power to be saved, no power over sin, no power to have victory in your life outside of the cross of Christ. And I want us to see this this afternoon just, just for a moment the doctrine of imputation. What does it mean to impute? There are some denominations I've come in contact with in Indiana, talking to some folks who used to be in those denominations, some of the old-time Methodists, and they believed in what was called an imparted righteousness, that God would impart righteousness unto folks. He would allow them to have it, and if they messed up bad enough, that righteousness could kind of be reeled back in because they didn't want it. It was simply imparted. But I want us, I want us to understand, I'm not talking about an imparted righteousness that God gives. I'm talking about an imputed righteousness that God gives to sinners based on the work of Christ. But I want us to understand the imputation here that I'm talking about. God made Christ to be sin for us. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Let's stop just for a minute. Anytime we hear Calvary preaching, we always talk about what happened at the cross. We talk about Jesus being taken into the, 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 uh, the pavement there before, before Pilate and he's put on trial and, and that uh, whenever he's turned over to the Jewish authorities, we talk about how that they mistreated the Son of God. And I want to just say we talk about the physical sufferings of Jesus and may I say that Christ has suffered more than any other man ever would have suffered. His visage was marred more than any man is formed more than the sons of men, Isaiah said. And we think about the physical sufferings of Jesus. My, oh, my, could you imagine the physical suffering of Christ? How that they blindfolded him. They plaited the crown of thorns, put it upon his head. They took the reed and smote him on the head. Cleared their throats and spit in his face. Prophesying to us, tell us who it is who smote thee. Not a single one of us men would take that sitting down. We would rise up, double up our fist, and do our best to let them know we're not going to be treated like that. 
But no, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter of the sheep before his shears of death. So he opened not his mouth. And may I say to you, not only did they do that, but friend, they took that cat of nine tails. You know the story and how they whipped the Son of God. They, they tied him to that post. They would have whipped him, ripping off pieces of flesh and ripping off pieces of the muscle all the way down to where Jesus said in Psalm 22, I may tell all my bones. You could see the bones on the inside of the chest cage, if you will, of the Son of God just because of the, uh, the, the, the trauma that was caused by that cat of nine tails. Oh, what a sad, sad thing. And, and, and I... Every time I preach along this line, I remember preaching on this. I preached on Calvary. I think it was a Sunday evening. And I looked over on this side of the church. And one of the ladies in church, she's home with the Lord now, just sitting there just weeping and crying. Weeping and crying because Christ took that type of punishment for her. Miss Barb, that's who that was, Brother Randall. Amen. And I stopped to think, oh, what a blessed day. Because a lot of times you'll preach on Calvary. And people look at you like a calf looking at a new gate. They're tired. I mean, I, I know we're tired. Don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying a lot of times you preach on Calvary and nobody cares. But then you talk about a little poodle dog that gets run over in the middle of the road. Everybody squalls and cries and, oh, my lands, what in the world are we going to do? That's such a cute story about that little dog. Oh, Lord, help us. You can tell I'm tired too, can't you? Amen. I know we're all tired. I'm going to be finished in a minute, I promise. Amen. But when I think about this, Suffering of Christ, the physical suffering. How they nailed him on the cross. Laying him down, there was an article that came out in the Journal of the American Medical Association probably 25 years ago talking about the physical suffering and the trauma that came on Jesus when he was on the cross. And where the nails would have been driven and all the trauma that he would have went through and how that trying to push up and trying to hold on and the, the excruciating pain, that's where the word comes from, out of the cross, excruciating pain that would have gone through his body as the nails would have been placed through his hands and through his feet and trying to raise up and to get a breath. Trying to raise up. And remember that back has been laid open by the whips and by the, the, the torment of the Roman soldiers. And that back is scratching that, that, that non-treated cross. I mean, it hadn't been sanded. It hadn't been dressed. And that thing's scratching the splinters into his back. Trying to raise up to get a breath. And calling back down all the weight on his hands. And trying to push up to get a breath. Physically speaking, it was a horrible, horrible experience. And Senator, I'm going to tell you that today. This is exactly what Jesus Christ suffered. On your behalf, he took that wrath on himself. And listen, I'm not even got to the wrath part yet. But think about how mankind treated the Son of God. What a horrible treatment. If, they, if he came back today, they'd do the exact same thing. How do you think they're treating his people? Spiritual people. His earthly people. How do you think they're treating They hate Christians. Hey, man, Fox News don't like Christians anymore. Can I get a witness on that? Hey, man. They don't like us. Nobody likes us. That's all right. This world's not our home. We don't need to drive them tent stakes way too deep. Amen. But they would treat Jesus the same way today if he were to come back today. Have no use for the Son of God. Couldn't care less about him. I'm telling you, just a, just a, just a wicked crowd. The, the, Peter told them, you have taken wicked hands. You've crucified the Lord of glory. And that's exactly what happened. But may I say to you, not only are there the physical sufferings of Christ, and those are terrible. To stop to think about the physical sufferings, the psychological sufferings that took place on the cross. The folks who walked by and said, oh, let's go and wag our heads as we pass by. Oh, 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 who are you? Who are you? Oh, oh, 
Come on down. Let's see if he's the son of God. Come on down. Come on down. Oh, is, is he calling for Elijah? Is, is that who he's calling for? Hey, let's just sit down and watch him here. The folks wanted entertainment. That's all they were interested in is entertainment. That's it. They couldn't care less about the sufferings of that man. And mankind took the wrath that they had out on him from the time of his trial to the time they nailed him on the cross. Mankind took every bit of wrath out on him because this is exactly how we would treat God if he were here. But friend, at 12 o'clock noon, God shut the lights off. And friend, when God shut the lights off, that's when 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21 came into play. Because in the darkness where no man could see, behind the veil, behind the cloud, if you will, when darkness covered all the land, a transaction took place between the Father and the Son that nobody else could be privy to. And what happened in that moment? The Son of God became sin. He became that Word. He became my sin. He became my wickedness. He became everything that I don't want to be anymore. He became sin for me so that God would punish him in my place. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Oh, friend, that's why heaven's going to be a wonderful place because there's no more sin because the Son of God died to deliver us from sin. Thank God for that. Think about that, friend, on the cross. God, I don't know exactly how it took place. I don't know. Some of you men, you tell me, I'd love to hear. Somehow God imputed all of my sin, all of your sin upon the Son of God. Preacher, that's not true. That's not true. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, and that's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah God hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God took my sin and he placed it on Christ and he punished him in my place. And in the darkness where nobody else could see, you heard Eli, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God turned his back on his son. And for the first time in all of eternity, the son and the father were separated. That fellowship was broken. That love was not experienced. That communion was gone. And that was because he did not want me to be separated from him for all of eternity. He turned his back on his son so that I would never hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Oh, bless the Lamb of God, friend. I'm going to heaven because the Son of God took my sin upon himself and died under the wrath of God in my place so that I can have eternal life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank God. I stand here today on my way to heaven. If I die in a wreck going up 75, don't weep for me. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. How do you know that I'm going to heaven? How do you know that? There was one day, I didn't know anything about going down to the front of the church. I didn't know anything about that. All I knew was the folks in that little country Baptist church said something I didn't have. And I bowed my head in the back of the church and I said, God, I don't understand everything about it, 
But God, the folks in this building got something I don't have. And God, I know I am not saved. And I just said, God saved me. That's all I did. And at that moment, I passed from death unto life. The last two Sundays of February, the first two Sundays of March in 1991, a little over 30 years ago, I broke into that other place. I went through the veil. Hallelujah. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, the Son of God took my wrath upon himself. He took my sin upon himself. He died in my place. But Christ becoming high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. He only had to take his blood one time into the holy place, not multiple times, not come to Mass every Sunday, not take communion every Sunday. Friend, one time he made one sacrifice for sins forever, and he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He's not going to have to make another sacrifice. God is satisfied with the death of his son. Hallelujah. God's satisfied with the death of his son. Listen, if God is satisfied with the death of his son, you ought to be satisfied with it when it comes to salvation. You ought to be satisfied with it. I bowed my head in the back of that church and asked God to save me. You know how it is? You get that thirst, you hunger, that hunger. That Bible became a new book to me. Oh, man, I saw things. I mean, there was a hunger. There was a drawing to that book. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? There was a drawing to that book. And as I was drawing to that book, I began to read, and I began to read, and I began to read. Oh, how beautiful that was. You are listening to portions of the Hope of Israel National Conference, which takes place each year the week before Memorial Day. This is a prophecy meeting with an old-time revival spirit as Bible-believing Christians from around the country gather together to stand with Israel. If you would like a copy of today's message, please call us at 844-644-4426. Once again, that number is 844-644-4426.